and having as many ideas of sex acts that are out there as you can and having as much embodied knowledge from exploring your own self, your own body um, as you can and knowing what you do and don't like, that I think that's gonna help you define what sex is to you. Hey everyone, it's Verilyn from the Absurd Thought Club and today I'm joining you with a special, special, special episode featuring Tara Michaela Jones. She's an amazingly passionate and multifaceted human being, but with a focus on sex education, she's doing the kind of work that shapes the way we view and practice intimacy. I highly recommend your ears be peeled and you listen to every single second of this because she's good. And not only this episode, but checking out her published work, website, and socials is doing yourself justice. So without further ado, let's get into this amazing episode. Who are you and what are you passionate about? Amazing. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I'm Tara. Um, I usually use Tara Michaela like professionally. That's my middle name. But Tara Jones is my real name. Um, I'm from Massachusetts, from Cambridge, Boston area. Um, it's actually where I'm staying right now with my parents for a little bit. Um, what else? But I am New York based. I'm based in Harlem. I literally adore Harlem um what else about me I'm 22 years old just graduated from NYU like you said um I have been working in sex ed in one way or another since I was probably about 19 maybe late 18 early 19 um but yeah that's really what my biggest passion in this world is is providing people with comprehensive sex education, supplementing what they didn't get in schools and trying to make a difference so that people can get this information at a younger age. So future generations do not have to go through what a lot of us are going through in terms of just sex negativity and rape culture and other things like that, that are sort of the byproduct of inadequate sex education. So that's my biggest passion, but I have tons of passions um I'm a huge movie person I love films um I love dogs um like random stuff like that um but sex ed and definitely content creation has become a huge passion of mine figuring out how algorithms work and sort of using that to create conversations period well thank you for that introduction since you said like growing up in Massachusetts Oh my gosh, Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's like a hard ass word. Um, it is. Um, let's talk about growing up in Massachusetts. You know what I'm trying to say. And yes, it's a lot of S's, a lot of T's. And how that impacted where you are today, especially as far as debunking the sex ed, you know, education that we got when we were younger minimal to none you know so talk about that and how what kind of experiences did you go through especially in your education that you were like okay that that needs to go like we need to fix that real quick so what led you to actually realizing you wanted to study that yeah that's so real i think massachusetts as far as things go in this country is on a pretty good track um and unfortunately that's not even enough um, there are very few states in the country, I think it's less than 10, that mandate comprehensive sex ed. I don't believe we had comprehensive sex ed. As far as my knowledge, there are like three types of sex ed that are usually given. It's usually abstinence only, where you're taught literally only about abstinence. You're not taught about birth control or 
anything like that. Um, abstinence plus, which cl more closely mirrors what I had or comprehensive and abstinence plus is where you're given information about birth control methods, about um, you know barrier methods, things like that. Um, but abstinence is really prioritized as far as what you're told um, and really drilled into your brain. Um, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with obviously suggesting abstinence, especially for young folks, but just recognizing that the reality is that young folks are still having sex. They just are not as informed about it as they need to be. Um, and so as decent as my sex ed was, we did get, you know, information on birth control. We did get a lot of information on healthy or unhealthy relationships. Um, we got some anatomy. It was primarily reproductive anatomy and not like things like the vulva or the clitoris or like, you know, it still kind of felt like vagina was like not a safe word to say, even in a sex ed class, yeah. um, which is very frustrating, but like we can learn about the fallopian tubes, like, okay, when, you know, that information is far less relevant to me than like where my clitoris is, but like go off. Um, but yeah, so even though we got a lot of that information, which a lot of people in a lot of schools don't get, and I'm very grateful for that, um, was still lacking a lot. Um, sex ed wasn't really something that was talked about in my household as well. I feel like that's half or more than half of the battle um, yeah. is parenting. And so I think the reality is that a lot of people rely on their community. And I feel like that's kind of what I did. Like I would talk to my friends or you rely on your media on porn. Unfortunately, um, I wasn't really big into consuming porn until I was like older like probably 18 or 19 so I felt like I was just kind of going in blind and it felt like I was expected to like be a sexual being by my peers by men around me a lot of the time or I mean men my age um guys around me a lot of the time but I didn't know anything about sex um and so it was like a huge guessing game it felt like being thrown into the fucking middle of the ocean I was like what what am I supposed to do here? And I think through that process of being expected to know something and not knowing it at all, um, I just feel like there were a lot of moments that I could have avoided in my own life that were like less than ideal. Um, and I had to go through them. And I'm like, this isn't like, there was, there was a much better way to do this. Like if we had been having these open and honest conversations from the start, like, it could have saved me a lot of trouble. And so I'd like to think that I'm saving other people a lot of trouble or just opening up conversations um, that they feel like they can't have anywhere else. Um, so that's kind of how that led me to that. But I feel like one of the first things I often hear from people is how bad their like grade school sex education um, class was, whether it be like them learning like them being misinformed by teachers or like we definitely had a little bit of those like STI horror stories I think STI stigmatization is really prevalent and yeah. in, um in sex ed classes um in schools um and it goes on and on especially like religious schools you have the effects of purity culture and and things like that so I definitely consider myself lucky but even the luckiest of us really aren't getting that much when would you say you went, you started sex ed? What age? Um, like I started learning about it. Yeah. 
we had like we had know your body it was more like period education around like sixth grade I think and then we had actual sex education um I think it was eighth grade and ninth grade okay so if you could tell sixth grade Tara okay this is the first thing that you need to know about sex education what would it be it would be your own anatomy I think we like do children such a disservice especially when we when we don't teach them about themselves what's going on um in their genitalia and also like when we use like code names or like fake words for the, for those body parts um even calling that entire region a vagina like people still do that all the time to this day and it's like it's not harmful in a nutshell, but it kind of is because people really don't know anything about their anatomy. You have fully grown adults who don't know like where their clitoris is, who don't know where their urethra is, who don't know what a mom's pubis is. And it's like, okay, like you, you should know your body. Like I know where my elbow is. I know where my finger is. Like when we treat these body parts as so different, it makes them feel so like far from us like they're not ours like they're not and like they're not worth knowing about or claiming like something's wrong with them um and so that would be absolutely the first thing I would teach myself I still remember being like um how old was I when I first got my period maybe like fifth I was in middle school I was in middle school and I got my period and I feel like my mom just threw me like a box of tampons was like figure it out and I was like figure what like where where does it go what's going on and it, it in hindsight it's like so insane that I didn't even like know where my own vagina was I was like yeah I I, I wasn't I was old enough to know that and when you think about it like kids start st- self-stimulating around like three years old on average and they peak around like five years old and most of them are discouraged from it um they're really just engaging with their own genitalia seeing what feels good even if they're not reaching orgasm and a lot of the time to parents it looks like okay my kid's just sitting down or like jumping up and down on the edge of the bed or like being super movie or they're touching themselves and that's inappropriate so I'm going to tell them stop and so they stop and a lot of people don't revisit that until they hit puberty or even for a lot of people with vulvas till they hit adulthood and it's like we could be so much more honest with our kids teach them about their body parts, teach them that masturbation, self-stimulation is something that's done in private, but that it's not shameful and that they're entitled to pleasure. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. There's literally nothing wrong with that. Um, But just informing our kids and being honest with them instead of hiding something from them and then expecting them to just know everything all of a sudden um, when they start their period and you throw them a box of tampons, like where would I have gotten that information? Where would I have learned that? Throwing, <laughs> throwing your daughter <laughs> a box of tampons is like first period is actually like that's that's a lot. That's a lot. That's like you know how yeah. people are like, oh, you lose your virginity, quote unquote, which is a whole conversation about the concept of virginity. But when people are like, oh, you know, losing your virginity to back shocks is insane. Like that's that's like this like throwing tampons. Mm-hmm. Like what throwing, am I supposed to do? How do I what do, am I it? To do? Mm -hmm. (laughs) teach Mm -hmm. me please I need experience with this but I know that for me I was the type of kid I was super excited about my period like super Mm. excited I remember I thought I got my period a couple months before I actually got it and so I texted my mom like mom I think I got it like something happened 
Um, and then it didn't happen. And then a couple months later, it's insane. But I got, I was in the bathroom, tissue brown. I was like, whoa. Yep. This like, yeah. Wow, did I get it? I saved. I actually saved the tissue, which is like so disgusting. But that I, is so funny. <laughs> I, it's I, honestly... I, my mom. I was like, mom, look, this is it. And she was like, throw that shit away, please. <laughs> throw it away. <laughs> but she got me like an entire big, big bag full of like pads, tampons, mm. candies, you know, like blankets, all this stuff. And like, it was such a beautiful experience. And we had dinner and all my family called mm. like it was a big celebration but compared to getting a box of tampons given to yeah. i know that for me like i haven't had many sexual experiences um but for me i was very like well informed of what my period was how it would happen before mm. i got it. and i'm the same way with like intercourse like i i research i talk to my friends i have conversations like this and i'm like okay what is going on but for you how do you think that your period experience informed the way that you actually started getting into intercourse and sex and having those conversations or just interactions in general? Yeah, I like love what you're saying because that sounds so ideal. And that sounds like an experience that most people should have. And it sounds like an experience that, you know, if I have a child who menstruates, like I would love to engage in that. I think some things that definitely have that rang true for my first experience with menstruation and then have also sort of continued were one the fact that pretty much only my mom knew like my dad didn't know none of the like guys men in my life were going to know that so it definitely felt like this is hush hush this is like a secret that is kept between women uh, men do not know anything about this and to this day that still does feel very you know, accurate to my life. You have TikTok trends where guys think that the sticky part of the pad goes onto your, <laughs> to your labia. Yeah. Like that, I'm scared for this generation. I'm genuinely scared. Yeah. Um, but I've also been in like relationships with men where it's like period blood was like a thing for them. Like, ew, it's gross or it smells or all these different stereotypes and stigmas. And it was like, you cannot sit here and tell me that you love women and be this disgusted by periods like the math is not mathing um and so that was true and then I also remember you know the only way that I knew about periods before my period really started was through like my friends mm -hmm. and those who started puberty earlier than the rest of us um we're surely like going through things in their own route. Like, you know, I had friends who like grew boobs first and like um, were growing body hair first. And like, you know, they, that, that certainly definitely had its own like hardships for them. But I remember seeing them and being like, oh, I'm so jealous. Yeah. And I think that theme being carried out throughout the entire rest of my life as a woman, but also like as a sexual being is like, there's always somebody to be jealous of or something to be jealous of in terms of like being really desirable. And like, that was something I was so consumed with at a young age. And so I thought periods were like a sign that I was like catching up with these people who were my same age, but who I thought were so much cooler than me because they had boobs and they were like, yeah, their bodies were changing and like mine wasn't yet. And so it was really exciting for me um, to just be like them. And I feel like that's, continue to this day unfortunately for me and a lot of other people 
especially AFAB people. So compared to having conversations with your partners and like talking about period blood and shit that's just regularly stigmatized versus talking to your friends and having those moments of like, dang, I wish I had boobs. <laughs> like, dang, I wish I got my period. Um, how do you have those conversations? Say you're talking to like a 12 year old, you know, young kid and you're like, look, this is a conversation that you're literally having with your friends that you're probably gonna have with your future partners. What would you say, how would you guide them through those conversations of things that are regularly stigmatized and compared to your experience of talking about them? Yeah, I mean, I think like hindsight's twenty twenty. like just letting young people know that like some of these things that they're so concerned about will not matter at all. Mm -hmm in three four years especially when you're that age like things don't matter literally the next week um so especially like comparing yourself to others like of course it's something that I would discourage but it's also like that that literally won't matter at all you know um especially in terms of like that like puberty like growing like puberty will grow to be something that you both love and dread um at the same time so it's like being jealous of somebody else for going through something that has so much so many downsides to it um it's like probably not the best use of your time um but yeah no I would also say like that they shouldn't be uncomfortable asking as many questions as they feel the need to about their period or about any changes in their body um and if adults are uncomfortable answering those questions, that's on those adults. Like yeah. you are not in the wrong for being curious about your own body and for wanting to know about your own body. And if somebody makes you feel like you're in the wrong, that's on them. Yeah. Um, which is definitely easier said than done. But I think that's like kind of how we as a society need to start operating. Um, I see like huge strides in like the the sex positive parenting movement, um, mm-hmm. which I love and I feel like I'll definitely take into account um, when I become a parent um, in terms of like, yeah, like teaching your kid their real anatomy, but also just giving them as much autonomy over like their own decisions as possible. Like um, anything you can let them choose, let them choose it, you know, not forcing your kid to eat food that they don't want to eat, because what is that teaching them about like consent and about boundaries um, in all walks of life um you know not forcing your kid to not wear what they don't want to wear and stuff like that um and just hearing them out and being honest and like explaining to them why things are the way that they are um I think are all facets of like sex positive but just like really just honest parenting um that I think about a lot so with sex positive parenting like that's definitely something that I would adopt as well. And you're actually introducing me to that idea of sex positive parenting, but that goes back to just asking about what is sex, like clear definitions. So do you know the book All About Love by Bell Hooks? Mm-hmm. So say we transformed All About Love into All About Sex. And in the very beginning, she's talking about clear definitions and the recipe yeah. of love. What is the recipe of sex and how can we um, have these conversations about sex, sex positive, positivity and have the same meaning across boards with our partners with our friends you know with our family with whoever I love that question because 
I think so many people define sex as penetrative penis and vagina, very hetero cisnormative sex. And my favorite thing about being a sex educator is I feel like I literally could spend all day every day studying sex and still not know everything that there is to know because everybody defines sex sort of differently um and a lot of people define sex radically outside of that sort of norm that we've created of penis and vagina um intercourse so I think having sex be open-ended is so helpful and then I think getting as specific as you can as an individual into what you're talking about when you mean sex what sex acts that you enjoy which could be kissing like which could be you know things that we maybe have considered foreplay like um you know having your erogenous zones being fingered whatever it may be like that can be that can be sex to you because that's sex to a lot of people like why the fuck not um And so I kind of love the concept of an open-ended definition. Um, So I would just say like overarching, like umbrella, like sex is um, pleasure. And like, obviously there's pleasure outside of sex, um, but that's the sort of association that I make um, and the closest thing to like a hard definition that I think there is. Um, but of course, everyone's going to define it differently. So having as much vocabulary as you can um, and having as many ideas of sex acts that are out there as you can and having as much embodied knowledge from exploring your own self, your own body um, as you can and knowing what you do and don't like that. I think that's going to help you define what sex is to you. That's a beautiful answer. Open ended open-ended definition for sex yeah thank you that comes with a lot of like confidence you know like it comes with a lot of okay I know exactly what I've experienced and the ability to analyze those experiences because you know unfortunately a lot of experiences for people can be traumatic and so being able to process Mm. what sex was in that moment um can be difficult for people but or, you know, even if it was the most pleasurable thing in the world, sometimes like just that euphoric uh, sense of pleasure can yeah. overshadow or shadow what what actually happened. So how can you how can you determine what your pleasures were, what you know you didn't like, what you would like to try, what you wouldn't try? How would you have that conversation with someone and kind of even gas yourself to have that conversation or gas yourself to even think about it the next day or the week after or a year after. Yeah. I mean, I think there's like multiple parts sex. I think there's like your ability to communicate with yourself and then your ability to communicate with somebody else, like a a partner. I think like in terms of communicating with myself, like I think there's a lot of sex educators who go into, you know, breath work and like different meditation practices and like that's never really been me I'm not a super spiritual person to begin with um but I do find ways of like journaling um and I do try to like engage with like journal prompts or or things that really make me question um like okay for example I'm entering a very intentionally celibate period of my life and I've been thinking a lot about um this quote I saw on an Instagram account I really like that had a lot of conversations about consent 
Um, and the quote goes like, I am the most frequent violator of my own consent. And I've been thinking about that and a lot in terms of like getting out of like people pleasing habits and like asking myself like what I really do enjoy. And a lot of that is in terms of sex. Like a lot of that is like, why am I having the sex that I'm having? If I'm not enjoying this on like a purely like physical level, like what is this doing for me? And if it's nothing, then why am I doing it? But like that, that also applies in like every area of my life. Like I'm a people pleaser in, in everything. Like I, I hate, you know, I hate making people unhappy and I hate saying no or whatever it may be. So it's like, um, like, why am I doing this? And like, how am I harming myself when I do this? Um, so yeah, having ways of like communicating with yourself, um, is first and like I think masturbation is a huge part of that like actually explain what you do and don't like I think um really conscious porn consumption can be a part of that um seeing like what you are aren't aroused by um especially when you're looking outside of like mainstream conventional porn um but then communicating with your partners which is like a whole nother battle because I get super fucking anxious. I get so anxious. And I feel like I remember like being in community with other sex educators and people being like, mm, it's so easy. Like, just tell your partner. And I'd be like, wow. mm, no, it's not. No, it's not at all. And there is this motto like it, within sex educators, the sex ed community that you are responsible for your own orgasm. Like you can't expect somebody else to read your mind um regardless of gender sexuality whatever it is like you can't expect somebody to read your mind um so you it's on you to communicate like it's not on anybody else and I do agree with that um but that doesn't make it easy it definitely doesn't make it easy and so I've kind of had to find like my own like workarounds um because you know I'm not necessarily the type of person who could just ask like was that good and be willing and like ready for any type of answer like my feelings will get hurt and I'll cry and then I'll never want to talk to you ever again like I'm not you know that 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 confident cocky of a person whatever it may be um so I have to find like my own ways of like having these conversations like um is there something I can do that would be get better whatever it was like how can I be better than whatever I was um and I think it just comes with practice honestly mm -hmm. like it I think the first time I was ever asked like what do you like I was so taken aback and I was probably like 19 or something like I'd been having sex for like two years three years whatever I'd been sexually active um and I was asked for the very first time and it had taken so long for me to be asked that I was like oh this isn't even a thing that happens uh, but when it happened, I was like, I don't even, I don't even know how to answer you. Um, and also it's like, okay, how, like I love being asked and how do I like incorporate this into my life with other sex partners? Um, and so it definitely is like a trial and error process. Like there are definitely things you can do to make it less awkward, um, as far as like showing or not telling, like you could, you know, say like, this is how I touch myself or like, just like sort of move their hand or mouth or body or whatever in the way that 
you um makes you feel best um you know picking whether it's before or after to like have those check-in conversations or even during um yeah trying to like make it a part of like foreplay like hey I really think it would be hot if you did this or like um trying to like sex it up a little bit but um yeah generally like, communication is hard um and frustrating um but important but really really important so yeah yeah that was really insightful I think going back to the thing you said about um your favorite quote and how that led to this whole new journey that you're you're joining which is the celibacy you know quest um let's talk about that a little bit what are you hoping to like really see or feel or experience during that journey how long um and celibacy versus abstinence let's mm -hmm. also talk about that because that there's a huge stigma around abstinence and just like how it's perpetuated and how it's like thrown at us again and again and again so what are some healthy ways of going about abstinence that aren't influenced by, I mean, going about celibacy that aren't influenced by, you know, this abstinence propaganda that we've all yeah. used? Yeah, I mean, I think, like, I think if you have a vulva, like, you're going to get stigmatized no matter what you do. You're, you can abstain and it's, you're a prude, you can go out and be outside and you're a whore. So it definitely is a lose-lose equation. Um, and as much as like we have a, as a society have progressed, like we have just new ways of basically saying the exact same things um, that we've been saying to people with vulvas for the entirety of, I don't know, a long time centuries so um for me personally I try to be very um like particular when I talk about celibacy because I don't like to suggest that anybody like celibacy is like a necessary like phase for somebody to go through or like uh like a necessarily a, like a good thing for you like I think it's all very individual I think the way that people operate around sex, their motivations in having sex or not having sex, like is completely different. So I don't pretend to know anybody's anything. Like that's your business. Um, and if you don't want to be celibate ever in your life, don't do it. And if you want to be celibate for the next 10 years, then go for it. But like, that's your business. For me, it mostly just has to do with the fact that I like just recently got out of a long-term relationship and then realized that I was sort of just going with the flow and not making decisions about my life, how I want to spend my time. Um, and in the context of sex, like, yeah, the sex that I want to be having with people, like, what is, you know, sex outside of a relationship going to look like for me? Like, is it going to look casual? And what does casual mean? Is it going to be a, a, you know, a one night stand? And like, what would I require from that? And like, sort of actually like getting to take the time to ask myself questions instead of just going with what other people want to do yeah. um so that's what's been on the forefront of my mind um but yeah I think yeah people people get a lot of shit for being celibate I think some of the sort of like the clap back has been like oh like 
you know, it's better to go through these celibate periods or it's better to not engage in hookup culture, um, especially as a woman and sort of like making sweeping generalizations like that for other women. Like I hate when I see that discourse on social media a lot. What I will say about like hookups and casual sex is I don't like the sort of narrative that like women can't have casual sex or we're not built for it or our brains are da 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 and the oxytocin is okay like that is not true but I will also say that hookup culture is not meant for us and like we are mm-hmm. oppressed within it yeah so it's a very very fine line like if you do want to engage obviously engage and like I've engaged plenty of times and like have had wonderful interactions have had horrible interactions um but I know that it's not meant for me so it's really about like where I can finesse and recognizing where I can't finesse um that I'm like okay then this is not an interaction that's worth actually going through with yeah no literally the fact that you brought up hookup culture was so crazy because it isn't it isn't in a lot of ways meant for us I've asked people so many times like how can we make hookup culture just casual sex um a more healthy and fun environment for people for queer people for women for people who aren't prioritized within the paradigm of hookup culture. How do you think that you can, because I also read uh, most of your articles, but especially when talking about hooking up with white people, you know, having those interracial relationships and feeling dehumanized in a lot of senses, how do you humanize yourself, whether in interracial relationship or within hookup culture? And how would you go about really having that conversation with yourself? Yeah. Yeah, um, I think, I mean, I think we complicate a lot of things, which is good. I love nuance, um, but I think ultimately, like, um, spaces where there is an oppressor and an oppressed person, especially sexual interactions, those are, like, sites where, like, people are capable of harm, and so the the like way too easy answer is like just don't enter them um like just don't enter you know hookups with men um because men can harm you or just don't enter hookups with white people because white people can harm you um but like that's also like not real life um and I also think like that's you know doing a disservice to to kind of everyone involved not that it's the oppressed person's job to do a service Um, but I do think that sites where harm is possible are also sites where like remedy learning growth are possible. Um, and people don't think about that in terms of sex, like people love to oversimplify sex, um, and sexual interactions, um, especially in hookup culture and especially in casual sex, because they think that hookups, casual sex, they think that means that you don't treat the other person like they're a person, um, that you don't engage in aftercare, uh, that you just sort of prioritize yourself, your physical needs, um, suppress all of your emotions, and then leave and move on. 
um, and just don't recognize somebody else's humanity, um, which is insane. And also is like, you're not, you're, you're missing out on a chance to learn about emotion regulation. You're missing out on a chance to like actually acknowledge whatever it is you're feeling um, and sort of put it on a scale with whatever your agreement is with that person. And like, how do I make sense of what it is that I'm feeling and what it is that we've agreed to and how do I communicate with them and what parts of it do I maybe keep to myself and work on by myself or with a therapist or with friends? Like you're missing out on a chance to learn about emotion regulation, which we so rarely get to learn about, but we have to practice in like every facet of life, especially within hookups. Um, so yeah, all of that to say like, um, just recognizing your own value and worth, which is a, its own huge process within itself. And then entering these uh, sites where harm is you know, possible, um, but also recognizing that there are also sites where growth, remedy, healing is possible um, and giving that person an opportunity um, to make the situation better, um, to hear you out, to make amends, uh, which requires your communication, which is like labor on your part, sure, like I get that, but it also like will have a better outcome for every single person involved. Um, if you are honest with yourself and honest with your partners about any like microaggressions that happen or any violations of boundaries and consent that happen or when you feel like your pleasure is not being prioritized because the other person thinks that they are more deserving than you, um, things like that. So. Yeah, that was super long-winded, but... No, it's perfect. It's perfect. I really loved what you said about, um, like, when being asked about interracial relationships, how you went even further to say any situation, any relationship dynamic where harm is present or possible is really important because a lot of the time, especially as Black women, you know, it's stigmatized for us to even like white people. You know, I grew up, and I know you grew up in... Yeah you know, white predominant areas and environments. And so like having to ask yourself, oh, I like this person, but does he like black girls? Like or, black girls? <laughs> you know, or having to have that conversation of like, do you really like me? Or do you like the fact that I'm a black woman? Yeah. Um, but the fact that that harm outside of race, outside of, you know, gender can be present in any relationship dynamic is really important. We can be dismissed a lot of the time when, saying like oh you know i have a white partner and then your friend's looking at you crazy like girl <laughs> your boyfriend's white yeah. Are you, yeah really like yeah okay have fun fetishing like ah oh, yeah like, that's yeah you know oh the person God. really prioritized my humanity and makes me feel like you know helps me recognize my humanity in different ways that i didn't realize before so there's nuance to it and it can be overcomplicated in a lot of ways of just being like super right. just oh, they're white, and let's talk about all of this stuff in the history because that's valid and it happens and it's important to recognize that. But also, sometimes, you feel me? Sometimes they really do hit. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, yeah. I totally feel like for me personally, like um, I don't know if I could be in a relationship with a white person right now, but I'm also like at this point in my life where I'm like, I don't even know if I can date men right now. Like. Yeah. I feel like I have not, mm, 
I, I feel like I unfortunately have very little patience for like drastically differing perspectives because there are certain things about race and about gender that I know I'm right on and I don't want to argue with you on because it will make me so unattracted to you. Um, and so that's kind of where I'm at right now, but that's not even to say like that's where I've been like my whole life. And it's like so much more complicated than that, especially when we look at like what Black women are going through on a larger scale in terms of dating, um, in terms of being like the least desirable or one of the least desirable um and then all of a sudden seeing this like influx in representation and then getting like fetishized and so it's like we grew up during this one period where it was like everybody thought we were disgusting and we felt you know like monsters especially darker skinned black women especially bigger black women um and black women who weren't fitting a lot of other beauty standards and then all of a sudden it's like a switch a switch flipped in like a large subsect of men um and it's like scary weird and confusing um and so I get also struggling with weird racial dynamics in terms of like what black men are doing right now like you know stereotypes around especially being college aged and like going to like uh, my friends' schools and seeing like you know these fine ass college athletes and he's got a white girlfriend he's got a white girlfriend he's got a white girlfriend they all do um and so it's like the men in our community who are deemed top tier are also maybe consciously or subconsciously using their white girlfriend's social currency a little bit to keep themselves in this like alpha male position yeah um which is like their business, but like, where does that leave us? It leaves us being called ugly. It leaves us feeling like we're only good enough for a hookup and not good enough for a relationship. Um, so yeah, black women could do whatever they want. Honestly, black women could do whatever they want. Do not critique a black woman for anything, who she's fucking, who she's dating. I don't care. Like if they're treating her well, period because the odds are you're not like if you're not treating black women well you actually should shut up all the time like <laughs> yeah, yeah. God. Oh my God. no literally there's so much there's so much fuck shit that we have to deal with and at the same time we're realizing that because of the fuck shit that we deal with there's an onslaught a domino effect of shit that everyone else is dealing with but Enough about the fuck shit. Let's talk about the okay. Let's talk about queer yes. identity, being bi, yes. being that girl, exploring who you are in a non-patriarchal, non-colonized world. Let's talk about being gay. Okay, let's talk about Yes. Perfect. Okay, let's talk about gay shit. Okay. Oh my god. Okay. So, I high key knew I was queer like my whole life um which a lot of folks can say which obviously doesn't make you any less queer but I think my journey of like being loud about my queerness actually had literally everything to do with sex and absolutely nothing to do with wanting to cling on to like a marginalized identity mm -hmm. I feel like 
if anything, seeing other people like weaponize their queerness to hold on to their marginalized identity made me be like, oh, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to be one of those girls who's like, I'm gay. Like, it's so hard for me, especially one of those bi girls, especially one of those bi girls who has a boyfriend. Like, I think our conversations about bi erasure sometimes can get in the way of talking about bi privilege. Like there is a privilege that comes when you're in a straight passing relationship. Um, And I know that because I've been in not straight passing relationships and I can see how much it sucks having people stare at you on the sidewalk or make you feel weird or make assumptions about your partner or not take your relation, men not take your relationship seriously because you're dating a girl or things like that. It's just a whole bunch of frustrations that come that I, you know, I'm lucky enough to not have to deal with whenever I am dating a, you know, cis man or whatever it may be. So it's like, I'm going to recognize that privilege first and foremost. Second, it's like, I'm not going to like jump through hoops to seem like I'm more oppressed than I am. And I think that's like, yeah. really like a person of color perspective like oppression isn't fun yeah like, no. <laughs> and when I cannot deal with it I'm gonna enjoy not having to deal with it um and so for me being really really loud about being bisexual even though I knew I was bisexual for a long time had to do with the fact that like I when it came to sex and sexual interactions and even romantic interactions I was just sort of like taking what was being thrown at me And so I never thought like a queer relationship would come my way because it would also involve some sort of pursuit on my end. And I was like, I'm just going to, you know, passively take whatever, whatever guys like me that I find attractive. Sure. Like I'll agree with that. And we can see where that goes. Um, But as far as like dating women, as far as dating non-men generally, I was like, that's going to involve some sort of me having to be the pursuer, me having to shoot my shot. Um, And I didn't want to do that um at the time and which is like a confidence thing which is just like a uh a comp het thing like okay this is how relationships are supposed to go I was grown up in heteronormativity and I learned that I'm supposed to be the one that's getting pursued so it should be that, that easy and I shouldn't have to give it a second thought um but I think there came a point where I was like I really want to have sex with women And I sort of recognized that I was deserving of sex with women. I feel like I would see people in queer relationships and think like, that can't be me Mm -hmm. Um, for like a slew of reasons. Like, even though I knew I was queer and I knew I was like attracted to women, I was like, oh, but that can't be me in that relationship because, you know, I don't have enough experience. That's like every bi kid's fucking thought process. Or because, you know, I felt like I'm a super feminine person, like I'm too femme. Um, and like, how is that for me? Like, yeah, you know, being engaged in a certain amount of like unlearning. I was like, okay, fuck that. Like that's getting pushed to the side. And even though those thoughts do like, you know, come up for me to this day, I'm, I'm like, ultimately I know like I can be in queer relationships. I've been in queer relationships. I can have, you know, queer sexual relationships. I've had queer sexual relationships. Um, So I worked through it, but it it 100% had to do with sex. Um, And like very little of it had to do with like 
I need another identity marker or anything like that. And I think being bisexual has become an identity marker more so as I've been more loud about it, but only because like, God, sometimes you don't realize how much shit there is out in the world until you start like opening up about who you are. And then you're like, oh, wait, no, like this is actually getting a little frustrating. Like maybe I do need to talk about this on like the social level. Um, And so I do talk about the issues that bother me. You know, I do talk about um, the men who I date who think, you know, maybe it's okay that I'm bi, but then are actively homophobic towards queer men. And it's like, okay, well, now I'm not dating because what the fuck is wrong with you? But also, you knew all along that I was bi. So like, what's going on in your head where I'm less gay than that person that you're shitting on over there? Because we're both gay. We're all gay. Um, So... You know, I do like open up about specific topics that do affect me. And I do think bi erasure is a huge thing. I do think biphobia is a huge thing. Like these are real things. And I also think there can be privileges that like exist simultaneously. Um, but yeah, it, I am happy that I am talking about the social aspects of it. Um, and I am happy that it is a part of my identity. Um, but I also recognize that like, yeah, you have to recognize your privilege. Like you have to recognize that people are going through harder things. And I feel like I try to do that at every marker. Like, sure, I'm black, but I'm also like an extremely light-skinned black person or like, um, sure, like I talk about sex, I'm a sex educator. And like that brings a lot of stigma into my life. But like, I'm also in community with like a lot of sex workers. Like I see people who are doing what I'm doing and like being open and talking about sex who have it so much worse. And so it's like, I can hopefully simultaneously recognize like what I'm going through in terms of queerness, blackness, sex ed, whatever it may be. And also recognize that there are people who are going through a lot worse who need to be like amplified way more than I do. Um, You know, especially within the queer community, trans folks, um, lesbians, gay folks, um, people who don't present with the gender that they were assigned at birth, um, I think are really going through it like the worst generally. Yeah. And that comes with just queer identity, realizing who you are coming to that comes with so much unlearning, but also so many like crazy ass epiphanies that you're like, yo, it's really like this. Like, it's really like this. Like, like I remember the first girl, like, you know, first girl that I was like, kind of like, oh, I really like you. And Mm -hmm. I really flirted heavy. I'm not a flirter. So it was really just her being like, and then I was like, look, hey, want to hang out, you know, and then it's just all of the pressures that come with having crushes on guys and all of the hetero, you know, dynamics that you have to balance and duck and dive and be like, oh my gosh, is he, does he really like me? Does he really this, mm-hmm. that? And then with women or with, in any non-hetero relationship dynamic, it's like, Oh yeah, like I say exactly what I need to say. It was like the yep. first thing that oh, I my God. was crazy realizing, okay, I said exactly what I needed to say. She told me five year plan if we were to continue what exactly she was yeah. doing. I was like, yo, yeah. this is what it's like? Like what? So yeah. Some of that that you were like, damn, like it's really, it's really like this on the other side. Stop, stop. Because you realize how much you've been gaslit your whole life like I remember my first girlfriend because I'm a quality time person like I need quality time that's um my love language and so 
I always felt like I was super clingy with people. I also have anxious attachment. So I, I, it can very easily feel clingy, but especially with men. And I remember the first girl who I dated seriously, she would FaceTime me like five or six times a day, like at least. Like sometimes we'd be on FaceTime for like the entire like 24 hours. And I remember asking her and I was like, you're allowed to do this. <laughs> And I was like, what is that? What am I even saying? Like, what am I? I mean, she's doing it and here I am accepting it and I'm enjoying it. And this is a fun time. But I was like, I would never even think to do this to her because I've been so trained into thinking like I'm clingy, I'm annoying, I'm, you know, my needs are too much. Um, And so there are so many moments like that where you're like, oh, this is like the level of communication, like everything that I've been told that I've crazy for expecting I can actually just have and enjoy um but there's I mean there's also like you know there was also I think like the flip side for me which is like I've always considered myself like such a like uber feminine like the most feminine person ever and I got into my first relationship with a girl and I found myself being like the initiator of a lot of things, which I associated with masculinity. And I was sort of having to like jump into all these roles, which was cool because I felt like I was learning more about like myself and what I was capable of in terms of sex, but in terms of like social things, in terms of like paying for dates or planning dates or whatever it may be. Like I was like, I'm, I'm the man right now, even though that's super heteronormative and like stupid. And I was like, I never expected myself to be in that role, but here I am doing things that I never expected to have to do but like I'm enjoying them but like I don't know like it was like I don't know like a huge like learning process about myself it was like who am I outside of the context of just adhering to these norms that like men have set aside and like created for me um like what do I actually enjoy what do I not enjoy and I'm like okay well somebody's got to do it you know like yeah um, there were times where being the initiator or or whatever like the person to plan things or the person to whatever kind of sucked and I was like okay well somebody's got to do it and neither of us want to do it and both of us were raised in heteronormativity both of us were bisexual coming out of relationships with men so it was like okay like we're both going through this so like where can like we meet each other halfway um but yeah a lot to be learned in queer relationships yeah um but there's just there's definitely that air of like it is so nice to not have to beg for the bare minimum in so many like facets um especially in terms of like communication in terms of um just like for me time spent with one another is like a huge one and I feel like yeah you hauling is real like girls will literally be ready to move in with you after the first date and like that's perfectly fine with me like that's ideal for me yeah (laughs) no literally I've been through that same like whoa okay so we can just be obsessed in this way that wasn't really accepted before like I remember maybe the second guy I had like a real crush on that like we were talking and that whole talking stage which is a dumbass like hetero yeah. um and I sent him a poem and I was like you know what I'm sending this poem I really want mm-hmm. and it's just and I was like 15 14 or 15 at the time so I'm like you know he's really gonna like this poem 
he was like a fashion kid. So I'm like, he loves art. Fashion oh. kids, fashion boys do not like that shit. <laughs> they don't play. But I saw him, he was like, fuck you, send me a poem. And then laughed and was like, you really sent me a poem. So I was like, damn, okay, well, fuck you, bitch. Like, we're not talking anymore. Like, like yeah. it's cut. Yeah. Like, no, literally, fuck him. Um, <laughs> but then I was talking to this one girl and I sent her a song I made about her. And she was like, I'm crying. Like, this is so beautiful. That like, is wow. so cute. <laughs> the different, no, yeah, no, that's so real. And she was sending me like collages that she made of me and like all this stuff. And I'm like, whoa, where was this? Yeah, yeah. And a lot of those expectations play a huge role in how we start to think about ourselves. And like you said, it'll teach you a lot about yourself. So how were you able to reflect um, or begin reflecting yourself and centering yourself in your relationships? And how did your queer relationships teach you to start taking care of yourself and prioritizing yourself? I think a huge part of it because I hate being this person, but I am this person, is, like, I'm obsessed with talking about attachment style because mm -hmm. I do have, like, a textbook, textbook, textbook anxious attachment um, style. So I genuinely feel like recognizing that was, like, the key to relationships for me. I was like, oh, everything makes sense now. Um, and it helped me better know myself and like put name to like a lot of the things that I was doing, like a lot of the like sort of reactions that I would have to when I felt like somebody was pulling away. Um, I could really put name to them and be like, okay, like I can recognize these as like not healthy, not based in logic um, and like not good for me, like more than not good for this relationship, they're not good for me because the relationship isn't going to last forever. But like, I'm, you know, I'm going to be with me till the day I die. So um, recognizing and like learning more about yourself in that way. Um, I think therapy, if it's accessible, is a huge part of that. I mean, I think that's like any relationship. I think especially relationships with men, but I think just generally. I... One thing that I learned, which is like kind of a segue to the, you know, your schooling conversation. But one thing that I learned was how black lesbianism is like a historic ancient practice, basically like before hetero relationships were a thing, like lesbians were the shit, like everyone was a lesbian, every, you know, <laughs> non-man was a lesbian basically in like ancient Egypt, like a lot of them were lesbians, a lot of royals practiced lesbian relationships and rituals. And it was like a thing that happened. Um, and so that was <laughs> poor, poor segue, but that was one thing that I learned in school. But going to um, NYU as a queer woman, queer black woman, you originally started studying sociology and pre-law. How? Yeah. The fuck did you go to gender and sexuality study? From yeah, <laughs> yeah, really different, really, really different. Um, so I came in and I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, and I still, I feel like growing up, I was not really competitive. Um, and so I'd be like, okay, there's a lot of things that I'm bad at and I'll willingly admit that I'm bad at them. And then I won't feel bad if I perform badly in those areas. And there's very few things that I'm good at. And if I'm good at something, I'm going to like 
put all my pride on it. And I'm going to be like, you cannot beat me on this thing. Mm-hmm. So in high school, like law, debate, stuff like that, a lot of that stuff really came easily, like Latin terms. A lot of that stuff really came easily to me. And so I was like, I'm good at this. You can't tell me that I'm not. So therefore, that's what I'm doing with my life. Yeah. Um, got to college, knew that that's what I wanted to study. Um, and I had some hesitations, mostly being that I felt like law was a little bit too traditional of a field for me. Like I'm a little bit free spirited. And I think, I mean, I'm also a leftist and I knew that I, at the time had a lot more optimism about like fixing the system from the inside out, which is a, you know, pretty controversial take, I think in um, like leftist communities. And so as I was sort of like moving away from that like way of thinking and also like coming to accept that like law is a really traditional field, like more traditional than most fields. Like I literally have boobs tattooed on my arms, you know, like I, there are things that I'm like, I can't just get away with being myself. I'm like, how much of a toll will it take if I can't be myself in the name of like making money when I don't even fucking like capitalism to begin with, you know, um, And so I sort of, as my like desire to be a lawyer dwindled, um, freshman year, I took this literature class and it was around the concept of normalcy. We had a unit on normal sexuality. And I remember coming in and thinking that we were going to talk about like queer theory and stuff like that, which like, you know, was fine, but it wasn't super interesting to me at the time. And I got to class, like a 200 person lecture. This is literally a literature class. Like we're just, we just be reading books. Mm-hmm. And this teacher is talking about how awkward sex is. She's talking about like queefing. She's talking about like laughing. She's talking about different positions. Like she's like, yeah, the, the theme of the class was like awkward sex. And I was sitting there and I was like, are we allowed to talk about this? Like, is this what? Like, what is college? Like, what the fuck? Literally. Um, <laughs> But I was obsessed and I was like, I don't know how, but like, I want to do that. Um, And so at first I had started around thinking like um, I wanted to be a sex therapist because I kind of saw that as the only way to make money doing that. Um, But I also knew that like my interest didn't so much lie in like helping rich couples figure out like why, why can't Billy have an orgasm? You know, like I don't really care care that much like somebody else is out there to do that work not me um so I just sort of like delved in and I realized that there were like a lot of sex educators on Instagram having podcasts doing talk shows who just kind of made up their own job and I was like oh I I could do that because the idea of a nine to five also really bores me like I'm so easily bored I just wanted sort of do it all and so that's been my process so far is just like picking up whatever skills I have to pick up in order to like do this work that I really wanted to do like I started out writing I love to write like I came from you know pre-law background like I love to write and so I was like okay let me just start out writing about sex started out doing that and then I was like okay like I think I could make more money if I grow my Instagram account so then I started putting more effort into educating on Instagram and now I'm working at a social media and PR consultancy for um, sexual wellness companies. So I'm learning how to do PR for sexual wellness companies. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to pick up whatever skills I can in order to like keep doing this work that I really want to do. Um, 
but yeah, that is how I transferred from being pre-law to um, gender and sexuality studies. At first, I didn't know if I wanted to do GSS just because it's not really the best program at NYU, no shade. Um, but I also realized that college is really what you make it. Like, you need to know, like, why it is you're going to college. Because if it's to learn exactly what you want to learn, like, there are some schools that are going to be better for that than others and some programs that are going to be better that for than others. But, like, generally, like, you can learn most of what you want to learn outside of school. And that's what I did. Like, all, most of my sex ed info is coming from outside sources come from books podcasts uh other sex educators come from a lot of different places I went to college to network and I went to college to have that name to put on a degree so that I can work professionally um so the GSS major kind of worked in making it seem like I was learning a lot about sex in college when really I was learning a lot about sex outside of college and then also just going to school and trying to pass my classes. Um, But yeah, I think another part of the story is also that I had this like private Instagram accounts from when I was 15. I used to post about sex all the time on there. I still do actually, I post way too much. Um, I'm like a 22 year old adult woman with a Finsta where I overshare horribly. but I post about sex. I post about my relationship to my body. I post about um, who I'm dating, what's going on. Like I post about it all. And I think me doing that about sex, I think especially like in the era, oh my gosh, this was like so bad, but like not really bad at the same time. Like that era where like girls were always posting like their booty pics or their underwear pics on Finsta. Mm-hmm. I was like, I I literally love to be naked like I love to be naked I always have like I've always been very comfortable being naked and like taking pictures of myself naked and so that was like what my finsta became like at first which is like okay like in hindsight I was like 16 years old but you know it is what it is um because it was it wasn't necessarily about sex it was more about like my body is my body and it has a lot of functions that aren't sex but then sometimes it'd be like you know I'm a baddie like here's my butt like Eh. um but yeah and then that turned into like okay like if I'm posting my body here if I'm being so radically open here about um my body like I can be radically open about other things and a lot of people weren't talking about sex sexual expectations that were being placed on them um a lot of girls weren't talking about it and I feel like people were like swiping up and like people were engaging with me and it was nice because it was like this community that I like curated I could like choose who gets to be there or not um so it felt comfortable um and so that was really like the beginning of it for me like I think the the freshman year class was like a huge part um it was like the turning point but I usually say like I started the sex ed thing because of my femsta um which is true because I think when I did have that turning point and I was like guys I want to do something in the sex ed realm like nobody was surprised like nobody on my finsta was surprised they were like oh okay like you talk about sex all the time anyways like might as well go off um (laughs) (laughs) those two like pivotal transitions for you what would you say was more prominent that um to kind of close out this conversation it's been amazing 
what would you say was the most prominent um, love or passion for sex education? Um, oh God. I honestly, I think they do go hand in hand, but I would say passion because I think when I really think about my motivation, I think about like my younger self in all honesty and like how much I could have been helped. And so I think even though my, a lot of my work now has to do with like young adults and people my age and like is catered to them um, because I think everybody needs help. I think I need help. I think I need to keep having these open conversations too. Like we're, we're all in this together. Um, I would say that my ultimate goal is to like be able to talk to like high school age students, like, or even younger than that, or like, again, like be impactful with my parenting decisions um, because I really needed that. And so I would say that that's like where the fire comes from is like, yeah, like I really needed that. Um, and I think the other part of the fire is like, because I am uh, a leftist and like, I am like so adamant about being anti-capitalist and a lot of my like organizing work came from that place. And a lot of my, you know, anti-racist work has come from that place. And the thing that I felt like nobody was talking about was like sex education. Like the lack of sex education is the direct pipeline to rape culture. Yeah. And so we are not going to be able to talk about abolition about harm without also talking about our bodies and why we're not talking about our bodies and who is making money from that who is making money from the fact that you think you can't have sex until you spend all this money getting married and then you spend all this money getting divorced because you thought you couldn't have sex until you got married you know who is making money out of the fact that you're you think porn is such a secret that you're learning about it from, I mean, you think, sorry, sex is such a secret that you're learning about it from mainstream porn sites um, that are making money off of this. Like, that's like the third most prominent reason people go to watch porn in the first place. Um, but right, like they're not actually teaching you anything. Um, there's so much profit to be made out of shame and stigma. And it's really frustrating for me yeah. to watch and so that's like the other half of it. Like it's personal, but it's also like, it's so like societal, political, like it's it's so everything because yeah, like it's literally to blame for, for so much of rape culture, for so much of harm in terms of assault, in terms of molestation, like in terms of like, how we treat people who cause harm like these people are also not learning about consent and like the nuances of consent like are not learning about it on a bigger scale than like yes means yes no means no like we like we all need to be doing yeah. and like are now having to deal with the fact that they've caused harm and are now like paying for it in such a punitive like carceral way or aren't or have avoided that um like that that's the only form of like justice that we can even fathom is like god sorry I could go on forever but yes all of that to say that capitalism is so entwined with um shame stigma a lack of sex education and nobody's talking about it and we need to be um so that is the other like source of passion for me 
Amazing. Well, thank you so, 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 so much for having me. Thank you. Your mind is fucking amazing. I love talking to you. Yours is. I love talking to you. I want to hang out with you. Let's like Let's hang out. out. Yeah. Literally. So we're hanging out. We're hanging out. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining the Absurd Thought Club and sharing your critical thoughts, your passions, your whys, your questions, all of that. And yeah.